0: Jeff Baxter, the 2014 Kansas Teacher of the Year, and you're listening to the New Teacher Podcast.
1: The New Teacher Podcast. Get inspired. If you're a new teacher interested in hearing about the latest tips and tricks to inspire you in the classroom, you've come to the right place. The New Teacher Podcast features interviews with award-winning classroom teachers, the latest authors, and educational leaders recognized for their proven teaching techniques and strategies. Hear the stories of their success and failure. To listen to past episodes, view show notes, or to contact us, please visit our website at newteacher.org. Now here's your host, Anthony Arno.
2: Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Arno, and I'm so glad that you can join us here today. It is my hope that you will become inspired by hearing nationally recognized teachers talk about their success and failure in the classroom. Our guest today is a Teacher of the Year who could have retired, but he'll tell us why he postponed his retirement. It wasn't until he went back into the classroom did he become the Kansas State Teacher of the Year at the age of 64. Just listening to him passionately tell stories about his personal and professional background, you will become inspired by hearing him tell about his life experiences. Have you heard about the You Can Do the Rubik's Cube program? It's the educational outreach program for the popular Rubik's Cube, which was invented by Hungarian architect Erna Rubik back in 1974. Since that time, more than 350 million cubes have been sold, making it one of the most popular toys of all time. You Can Do the Rubik's Cube will provide you with a free loaner set of either 12, 24, or 36 cubes for your classroom, along with an instructional DVD, curriculum guide, solution guide, posters, sign-out sheets, and certificates. For a very limited time, if you use the coupon code podcast during checkout, YouCanDoTheCube.com will even provide you with a free return shipping label when you borrow up to 36 cubes, so there's absolutely no cost to you. Today, we're talking with 5th grade teacher Deb Gribben from Virginia, who is using the You Can Do the Rubik's Cube program in her classroom. Hi, Deb. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Anthony. Great. How are you?
2: Good. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What grade do you teach, and where is your school located?
1: Well, I teach fifth grade in a school-based gifted center in Glen Allen, Virginia.
2: And how have you used you can do the Rubik's Cube program in your classroom?
1: Well, I actually uh, started by offering it as an after-school program for my students because with the center we had several classes. So I offered it as an after-school program once a week. We have a really large school, so um, I ended up having 60 students show up for this once a week. We formed a competition team um, that was ready to compete by March.
2: And where um, have you competed with your team?
1: Well, I've competed locally at our local middle school. happens to do a competition You know that's pretty popular in central Virginia. And then we've traveled up to Baltimore uh, for the national Competition at the National Electronics Museum.
2: What's the best time that you've seen a middle student for completion of the Rubik's Cube?
1: Oh, one of my students? Oh, 22 seconds. Crazy. And And you know, the crazy thing is that this boy last year, 22 seconds, he didn't win first place. <laughs> the secret basically is to start with the basics, just to start with the basic moves and teaching the kids all the possible moves that the cube can do, and, and how to read, it sounds hard, how to read the algorithm of the cube.
2: And what benefits have you seen for your students using You Can Do the Rubik's Cube program?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many. That's one of the reasons I love using it. There's just so many benefits there. They, you know, it's great for developing critical thinking and problem-solving skills. It uses hands-on modeling, and, you know, I I easily can use it for differentiation instruction, you know, which is something they're pushing for us to be doing all the time in the classroom. Um, And, you know, when they first start, some of them get really frustrated. Some of these kids really get frustrated, but they learn in, in doing the cube. They learn how to persevere. You know, they learn how to manage their frustration and they also learn how to set goals. You know, okay, you know, in two weeks I'm going to be able to do this next stage. And they'll set personal goals that when they get to them and achieve their goals, then that helps build their self-confidence and, and self-esteem.
2: How did you um, get the materials to use the Rubik's Cubes in your classroom?
1: Um, I actually ordered them online. They're really easy to get online. You to go to their site, the Uh There's a teacher resources section.
2: Well, thank you for joining us here on the New Teacher Podcast. And thank for you, our Kathy. listeners who might be interested, it's youcan do the com.
1: All right, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Deb. For additional information, please be sure to check out the show notes page at newteacher.org or you can visit youcan do the com. Last week we spoke with Dan, a high school math teacher from Colorado who has created mosaics of Abraham Lincoln Albert Einstein, and his school logo using a borrowed set of 225 cubes from YouCanDoTheCube.com. You can see Dan and his student created mosaics by visiting the show notes page. As a reminder, we will be giving away a Rubik's Cube gift set to one random listener who subscribes to the show and leaves us a review on iTunes. Every week I try to bring to you teachers that will inspire you in the classroom by hearing their stories. Today's guest has truly achieved remarkable success, not only in the classroom, but also outside the classroom as well. He became the 2014 Kansas Teacher of the Year at the age of 66, when most other teachers of the year were probably half his age. Before even receiving the honor of being named the Kansas Teacher of the Year, He was all set to retire. However, there was something bothering him in his personal life that he could no longer live with. He decided not to retire, and today, six years later, in 2016, he's still in the classroom. His personal story will inspire you with whatever challenges you might have going on in your personal life. Please welcome to the new teacher podcast, 2014 Kansas Teacher of the Year, Jeff Baxter. Thank you. I am so excited to meet you, and I have a lot of questions I want to ask you, but let's go all the way back, and Jeff, if you can tell us a personal story of someone who might have inspired you as a child, and what do you remember about them?
0: Oh, that is very clear. I've uh, begun a number of my presentations by beginning. I was born on the corner of Linwood and Gillum in Kansas City, Missouri, in an ambulance. They were rushing my mother to the hospital because she had tuberculosis. And uh, so when I was born, couldn't be near my mother because at that time they thought that uh, tuberculosis was just that uh, uh, problematic for any newborn child. My dad had to quit architecture school in order to pay for the hospital bills, so the question came, who in the heck is going to raise me? And the answer was my grandmother, a retired English teacher. And uh, so that's who I bonded with, and that's where my uh, closest relationship was. And uh, so as I was growing up, uh, whenever I'd ask my grandmother a question, uh, she would never just give me the answer. She would give me a poem, a short story, a scene from a play asked me to go read it and come back and we'd sit in her rocking chairs and we'd talk about what the answer might be because she wanted me to to discover the answer rather than just tell me an answer because she knew it would stick with me. So I guess you could kind of say I was being raised to be an English teacher.
2: <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Now, do you have a favorite poem you might remember from your grandmother?
0: Oh, yeah. One of the first ones, and I, I could not have been more than, oh, eight, nine, ten years old at at, at the most. And uh, one day I remember asking my grandmother, "Um, said, Grandma, I want to talk with you about growing old. <laughs> and she said to me, you know, you're awfully young. What do you care about growing old? And I said, no, Grandma, it's not me. It's you. I'm worried about you growing old. And so she gave me a poem uh, by Robert Browning. Rabbi Ben Ezra, and uh, that poem begins, Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be, the last of life for which the first was made, our time is in his hand who saith, a whole I planned, youth shows but half, trust God, see all, nor be afraid. And then we would talk about that. And uh, I'm, I, I've got to tell you, to to this day, Age has never been something that that, that I've really thought about.
2: Do you remember the exact moment when you decided that you wanted to become a teacher?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, For all the incredible work that my grandmother did, and there are hundreds of stories of where she did things like that, you would think that I was going to go to college to be a teacher, Uh, but I didn't. And uh, I thought I needed to be a biology major. And you know, when I I look back on that, I did not have a male English teacher in junior high or high school or my first year of college. And I don't know if somewhere in the back of my mind I thought this was something that that, uh, men don't do. Uh, I was a uh, sophomore at the University of Kansas playing basketball. I had to have one more class uh, to fulfill my requirements, uh, base, basic requirements, and, and that one was in English. Uh, at the time, I was a biology major. I just didn't think that uh, uh, men taught English, and I guess that's because I didn't—I never had a male English teacher, junior high or high school, or first part of college. And the only class that was available so that I could get the English class and still get to practice was 19th-century American fiction. And uh, I will never forget, uh, in walks uh, Professor Richard Nellick, a retired Marine, and the first novel that we read was Moby Dick. Three days later, three classes later, that Friday afternoon, I called my grandmother and said, I want to be an English teacher.
2: And what was her reaction?
0: She was joyed. (laughs) She was overjoyed. She knew that's what I was supposed to be. She knew that uh, that I, that I connected uh, with it. It was uh, teaching uh, literature, teaching writing has never been a matter of just skills. It's uh, a matter of figuring out and understanding life. And uh, from that point on, in fact, until this year, and in one other year, uh, last 15 years, I've taught Moby Dick every year. And uh, the one year that I didn't teach, it was 2014 when I was traveling so much. And I did not want to leave that in the hands of a substitute. And uh, a whole bunch of my students got together and said, Mr. Baxter, we've heard this is a really great experience. Uh, Could you give us the novel and then we'll meet you every now and then this summer at the coffee house and talk about it? Wow. And And how did that make you feel? Oh, it was incredible that, that, that they would feel it was that important that they could read that, and then we'd get together at a little coffee house here in Leavenworth uh, uh, four or five times that summer and talk about it. And I I had, oh, 30, 35 students showing up to to talk about Moby Dick. (laughs) Wow.
2: Now, I teach fifth grade in New Jersey, and at our conferences, one of my parents asked, why don't we read the classics? And simply put, the classics for fifth graders, it's a little bit too advanced. (laughs) A little bit. But I did discover the illustrated version and all of the classics. So we actually read Moby Dick 2 right before winter break. And they enjoyed it so much just to sit back and to listen to the story and not have to worry to uh, come up with think marks. Oh, right. They enjoyed it so much that just this week, one of my students came in with some additional classics. And we had Uh. a vote. So today I just started Anne of Green Gables.
0: Oh my gosh, how cool is that?
2: And I had one student say, My mom got me that for Christmas <laughs> And I said, Well how do you for her how, mom? How are you enjoying it so far? And she shrugged her shoulders and said, Well, I didn't start it yet. Huh? But that's oh, great. That's great. a great story. Oh it is. It is. You graduated college almost forty five years ago in nineteen seventy one. Right. At about that time I was in second grade. And the oldest piece of classroom technology that I personally remember was the hand-cranked mimeograph machine. (laughs)
0: Oh, gosh, yes.
2: If you remember those, they pushed out purple copies that were soaked with an alcohol-type of solvent that would knock you off your feet with just one whiff. Yep. Today in the classroom, we have computers lighter than actual notebooks. We have the Internet. We have wireless technology, smart boards, social media. Right. Could you have ever imagined such advances in technology between your college graduation from the University of Kansas and today?
0: No, absolutely not. The uh the all that I can remember of uh computers and it's certainly not I mean it was certainly well before PCs. Uh, was the little cards that we would uh get and hand to the professor, and then they put those little cards back in the system and cranked it out and that's how we got into the class and um yeah it was it it was just not something to even imagine to even imagine what, what what's possible uh with what we do
2: now and how has it been for you in terms of embracing the latest technology, especially once you were uh, nominated, and you became the state teacher of the year in Kansas. What was that journey like for you?
0: Oh, that was that was phenomenal. Uh, probably the best advice I ever got about technology was from my five-year-old daughter. And uh, Tara saw me kind of struggling with it and kind of being overly cautious and and and, and such. And she said, "Dad, it won't blow up." <laughs> And now, so I, you know, I just didn't fear it after that.
2: And when was so, that? What what? Oh, that, that,
0: gosh, that would have been, oh, the see that terror would have been five, so that would have been in the late eighties. Okay. And you know, even then, and then one of the cool things that happened with technology uh, on my journey in two thousand fourteen, uh, my students wanted to be a part of it, and so my students uh set up a Twitter account for me and they even had kind of looked like one of a great big cheerleading sign that they painted and put up in my room that had <laughs> uh you know my, uh, how to follow Mr. Baxter and what they said okay Mr. Baxter we know you're going to be gone a lot but we want you taking pictures everywhere you go and posting them so that we can follow where you are and then they put up a map you know, I'm first of all, just one of Kansas, and then they uh, had one of the United States, and they just kind of followed where I was. And I was fortunate enough to have a substitute teacher that I helped hire, and he and I just really kept in close contact, and I told the kids every day, you know I said, if there if there is something that you really need, you send me an email, and I will respond to it. And I'm a really early morning riser. I'm up at four thirty every morning. And uh, that time from 4.30 to 6.30, you know, roughly uh, every day is my student time. That's my clearest thinking, best thinking time. And so I would uh, still had contact with the kids, even though I was gone so much. But, yeah, the kids just jumped right in and they knew, hey, this is Twitter will help us see where he is.
2: During your travels as Teacher of the Year in 2014, do you have any idea about how far, how many miles you've traveled throughout the state of Kansas and beyond?
0: In Kansas, I traveled 30,000 miles. Wow. Just in the state of Kansas. Uh, I was at every uh, college, community college, university in Kansas that has anything to do with education. Uh, I was... uh, Uh, in virtually every school district in kansas uh one of the in fact i even had uh, one school district call say we you know mr baxter would you mind coming out and and working with our faculty and it was in holcomb kansas kind of famous for in cold blood and it's way in the southwest corner of kansas and of course leavenworth is in the far northeast and uh, I told the, uh, the superintendent who was asking me, I said, my dad graduated from Sublette High School. I will be there. And um, Holcomb was just kind of right up the way from it and then Sublette right down in the corner. And so I, I was as far southeast as you, or southwest as you can go and as far northeast as you can go, big cities, little cities.
2: And what uh, message did you bring to the teachers, all the teachers you met? Traveling across the state of Kansas, what was your platform?
0: My number, my number one, my number one always was: you make a difference. Teaching is the noblest profession, and as kind of a core, uh, did a lot of different talks, but that was the key number one key of my message: uh, was uh, the nobility of the teaching profession. And the second one was character matters more than test scores. And uh, that's been uh, something I've uh, felt very deeply about uh, over the last number of years. And I guess, you know, I've had a long enough teaching career where I've kind of see these waves coming, you know, every five to ten years. And uh, this whole uh, thing about the last 10, 12, 15 years really troubled me the more that I saw um, testing dominating uh, up to 20% of a school year's time, preparing, taking, working with it. And uh, so uh, a core part of my message was character matters more than test scores.
2: And Jeff, during your travels across the state of Kansas, what was one physical item that you collected as Teacher of the Year that you will cherish forever?
0: I was given, uh, uh, again, this is clear back a little dinky town of Sublette. Uh, my dad played on the 1941 high school uh, basketball championship team. This is a dinky, winky little school. And uh, when they knew I was coming, uh, that they had built a brand-new high school. And um, uh, in the course of it, apparently – they lost that championship trophy. And uh, so I'm traveling to uh, Sublette, and I get a phone call that that that, uh, that afternoon says, uh, could you come by the high school? And I remember thinking to myself, it's not going to be hard to find a high school in Sublette, Kansas. <laughs> and uh, I got to the high school, and uh, they had found that trophy. They had been looking for it for several months because they knew I was coming. They found that trophy, and it had all the players' first initial and last name on it, and there was my dad's uh, name, and so uh, they gave me the trophy for safekeeping.
2: Wow. Do you know where it was that they found it?
0: They found it in a furnace room uh, where they had set boxes to get ready to destroy. (gasps) And that was the last place they looked, and they found that trophy.
2: Before you were even selected as the Kansas State Teacher of the Year. I want you to tell our listeners the story about what happened a couple of years before that.
0: Oh, yeah. That was, that was amazing. Over the course of my career, I'd, keep in mind, I've been an athlete. I've been a college athlete. I've run three marathons and several hundred 10Ks, and I was in physical condition. But over about 20 years, I just gradually gained weight, gained weight, gained weight, Until uh, December of 2010, I weighed 465 pounds. And I had planned to retire then because I just could not get around. Uh, It hurt to walk. Uh, I had to sit. I still loved being in the classroom. I wanted to do things with students, uh, but it just hurt too much. And we were visiting my daughter and son-in-law and my grandson, Hunter, uh, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And my wife and two daughters were going to walk Hunter to the swimming pool that was about two blocks from their house. And I initially went out with them to walk the way, and I took about five steps, and I knew that I couldn't make it. It just hurt too much. So I'm standing there watching them walk off. And I just said to myself, this is not going to be my life with my grandkids. And so my wife and I began the whole process of trying to figure out, you know, what I could do to uh, lose weight. And um, uh, we talked with my doctor. We went through all kinds of stuff. We went to every kind of uh, doctor seminar that you could imagine, And uh, finally, I I just kind of gave up, and my wife said, no, we're going to go to this one last one, Uh, and we did. And uh, essentially what ended up happening, I decided to um, have uh, uh, a uh, bariatric surgery that is essentially uh, making my stomach uh, from the size of a fist to uh, about one-tenth that size. And the doctor said, uh, you know, the best that we can hope for is that you'll lose 100 to 125 pounds. And, uh, I mean, I followed everything fastidiously. And so I began losing weight, and I began walking and exercising. And by that summer, I'd already lost 150 pounds. And my students called up my wife several of my students called my wife and says where does mr baxter walk when he does his weekend walks and she told them and so i began to have 15 to 20 students Aww. every saturday and sunday walking with me and so that encouraged me but at the same time it's encouraging them because they're saying gosh if mr baxter can do this you know to lose his weight then why can't we do whatever struggle they had and, uh, I ended up losing 270 pounds. And talk about life changing. And, uh, I mean, all of a sudden, man, I, I am up all over a classroom. I'm teaching like I'd always loved teaching. And I'm up and around and working and getting kids working and moving from table to table. And, uh, that my energy is just, uh, crazy. And so, I mean, I began getting just really re-inspired and then that's uh, what had happened in 2014. Um, people ask me, well, when are you going to retire? And, I, and my answer really is, I love teaching and I'm going to teach as long as I love teaching and as long as I make a difference. And I will know, I will see it in my students' eyes when I'm not connecting anymore.
2: What an inspiring story. Yep, That's incredible. And even after your tenure as Teacher of the Year, you went back into the classroom. I know I've spoken with some teachers of the year who, for whatever reason, did not go back to the classroom. What was it like? Did you have a feeling of sadness from being away from the spotlight, or was it a feeling of happiness of being back in your familiar setting?
0: It was really satisfaction. I still, I, I, I speak at two or three national conferences a year. Uh, I still do workshops with teachers uh, all over Kansas. I'm getting ready to do one this coming Monday uh, at a school district in southeastern uh, Kansas. But I get to pick and choose. I can pick and choose. I, can, I try real hard to do them on uh, days when I'm not teaching. Uh, I, last summer I did uh, three different national conferences um, and, you know, so I, I get to pick and choose, but I love being in the classroom. I absolutely love being in the classroom. And, uh, it's, uh, that's, I, I wake up every morning and I can hardly wait to get around and get to school. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just, and, and I'm teaching in a brand new high school this year.
2: During your visit to space camp as teacher of the year... Oh. You got to meet my hero, Homer Hickam, (laughs) of Rocket Boys.
0: Oh, God, And for
2: our listeners who may not be familiar with who he is, uh, Rocket Boys was later made into the movie October Sky, which was a major Hollywood movie. What was it like meeting the real Homer Hickam?
0: (laughs) That that was inspirational. That was inspirational. And one of the really amazing things, because he's a, a great man and a great teacher. And we were in the building that houses the Saturn V rocket, gosh, about 50 feet up in the air. We were walking underneath it, and he was with us. And that thing is huge, you know. And I'll never forget him pointing up to look look like this uh, silver metal thing that kind of went around the outside of this red rocket that must have been about 18 inches wide, maybe about six inches thick, and went all the way around the middle of it. And he said, you know what that is? And we had no idea. And he says, that's a computer system for the Saturn V rocket. And he's, what? <laughs> and he says, yes. And then he picked up his cell phone, and he says, my cell phone, this cell phone has 100 times the memory wow. of that computer. He said, is there any doubt that we will go to Mars? Wow. <laughs> it was how inspiring it was is that in, incredible uh that was that was that was an amazing experience and then at that place too we also got to work with international teachers of the year and uh that was inspiring and uh, uh had our own little base put us up into teams uh and we competed uh on uh, actual launches and space travel uh, you know, and had all kinds of enigmas that happen and everything, and then they trained us for that. And so we had our international team, and it was uh, it was quite astonishing. That was a wonderful visit.
2: Now, for me, during the summer, I teach a water rocket class. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with water rockets or soda bottle rockets, it's simply using a 2-liter soda bottle and water and pressurizing it. And right. There's a whole curriculum that I follow. Um, it's very inexpensive, very safe. It's not like the SD's rockets with the uh, gunpowder. <laughs> right. And Part of the class includes watching October Sky. Oh, And my yes. favorite part of the movie is watching the commentary by Homer Hickam. Have you seen it?
0: Yes, yes, yes. So,
2: so he talks yes. about what is true in the movie, what is not true in the movie. Right. And, um, you know, I get a kick out of like the math formulas he had, they had on the blackboard during the movie, in fact, were not correct. And he says, <laughs> I got a letters when the movie aired saying that this particular formula was not true. And it was just the movie becoming Hollywood.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But for the new teachers out there, I'll actually put a link on the show notes page, even with the video. To this date, the Water Rocket video from the summer camp has over 72,000 views, which is incredible. Wow. Well, I was looking forward to hearing your answer about what it was like to meet Homer Hickam. But I guess I have to also ask you, what was it like meeting President Obama?
0: That was astonishing. You know, we... uh To even get into the White House, we had to go through three sets of security uh, to get in. And uh, then to go into, we were in uh, a large gathering uh, uh, room in the the White House, and then we went into the Red Room, and then we could see in the distance, just real quickly coming in, and we knew it was uh, his escort and the president. And uh, he was so gracious. Uh, He talked with each one of us for, you know, several minutes when we greeted him. It wasn't just shake hand and move on and talked with each one of us. And and uh, uh, it was that was quite an honor. Do you remember what you said to him? Yes, I do. (laughs) I said, uh, Mr. President, my name is Jeff Baxter. Uh, I'm a Kansas University graduate, a KU Jayhawk. We're the team that messes up your March Madness bracket every (laughs) year. (laughs) And he laughed. He said, yes, you do. He says, but I'm still going to believe in the Jayhawks. So (laughs) we had a nice chat about it.
2: Jeff, what was it like being Teacher of the Year when most of your colleagues were probably half your age, if not younger?
0: That was really neat. Uh, They really embraced me. Uh, I never felt never felt anything other than accepted, and have become just dear friends with so many of them. Sean McComb, the National Teacher of the Year in my class, and I are very good friends. Uh, We've had him here in Kansas. In fact, he's getting ready to come back out to Leavenworth next August uh, to do a a, a convocation uh, with Leavenworth School District. I became such dear friends with, with all of them. And I I was kind of the guy that was looked on uh, sometimes when there was a really tough question uh, that really required somebody who had some age, wisdom, you know, I mean, some experience over years. They just kind of look at me, okay, (laughs) this is your question. And, uh, uh, but it we had a, it was just wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful.
2: Looking back at your teaching career, what would you say was one of the biggest mistakes that you might've made? And what did you learn from that mistake?
0: Oh, very! Uh, I can answer that one real clearly. Uh, the very first year that I taught, uh, I had a young man that just seemed to be lost. And I did so many things to try to connect him in school. I will never forget it. And, and uh, just and I just couldn't. And uh, finally, uh, about the uh, uh, end of the third quarter, I just thought, well, you know, uh, I, I've struck out. I can't do anything. I'm just going to kind of go on. About two weeks later, he drowned in the Missouri River, oh. and uh, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I gave up on that kid, and I decided right there, I am never, ever going to give up on a student again, never, and I haven't. Uh, uh, no matter what their, what their situation is. I, I, you know, right now I teach AP Literature kids, but there is a time when I taught kids that came to school from the Juvenile Detention Center. Um, uh, you know, I've taught every kind of student, from kids who read at the second grade level in high school and to National Merit Scholars, and I, that, that is a core principle. I will never give up on a student. And it came came from that.
2: Unfortunately, an experience like that, but it's made you a better teacher, I know. Yes. Jeff, what is one book you could recommend to our new teacher listeners that would help them become a better teacher?
0: A wonderful book that I'm recommending to a lot of people, uh, a lot of uh, teachers, educators, is How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff, T-O-U-G-H. Uh, it is just an incredible book about, really, how do children succeed? What is the, 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 uh, the secret, I guess you could say, of how they succeed even when they have nothing? And uh, that's the book I'd recommend.
2: And what are just one or two takeaways from that book?
0: Um, character matters more than test scores. Right. It's developing uh, those character qualities of, uh, curiosity, of persistence, of determination, uh, helping develop those characters. Those are going to be the things that sustain them, uh, in life. And, um, uh, that's really, and, and this guy provides just wonderful anecdotal data, uh, specific experiences and, uh, uh in fact, it's uh, some of the. But when I've given it to administrators, it ends up being the kind of read-along book for all of their administrative staff. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful book.
2: For new teachers listening to this podcast, what is one thing they could do tomorrow morning in the classroom to become an effective teacher?
0: They need number one, number one. Before anything else happens, they need to build trust. I spend the first two weeks of my uh, year, I mean, we do lots of activities and we do writing and all the kind of things, but my core first two weeks of class is establishing they can trust me and establishing I can trust them. When that happens, educational magic takes place, but until it happens, it doesn't. And uh, so uh, uh, the, the writing that we do and all that kind of stuff really is developing that relationship.
2: If a new teacher has a new assignment tomorrow, what can they do to establish the trust with a class that they know nothing about?
0: Yeah, they need, they need to be finding out about their students. The, the very first writing, uh, as an example, the very first writing that I do, and I still do these kinds of things uh, every day, we write for the first five minutes of every class. I believe writing is a core component across the curriculum uh, of what students need to be doing. We do a neighborhood math event where they, I go back and have them uh, recall where uh, where they grew up when they were 8, nine, ten years old, and they look back at that, and they draw a map, and they draw where things took place, and then they look at that, and they end up writing a story that comes out of that. I like to do that because that's non-threatening. That right. had, All of us were goofy when we were 8, <laughs> 9, 10 years old. Uh, I just finished an exercise with students that took us about a week where what I wanted them to do every day, even when I didn't have them for class, in their composition notebook, I wanted them to do this. I am grateful for, and what, what is it? Three things. And we did that every single day. Then we ended up com, com, uh, compiling what is it that they're grateful for? because I want to build hope. Uh, we did some really cool things that ter- end up being wordles that now cover uh, the uh, windows in my classroom. Uh, but things like that to build relationships and to really get to know who they are. Uh, I do all the all those kind of activities with my kids. Uh, I write with them. Uh, they see me struggling, because uh, I think students learn when they see teachers model that. Uh, so... Lots of those things to build relationships because uh, as you're doing that, you're building trust.
2: Right. It sounds like you really are a remarkable teacher, especially as a role model, whether it be the students seeing you read along with them or the writing or even during your um, recuperation, just going out to the coffee shop and reading oh, Moby yeah. Dick. So oh, yeah. Great. Yep. Jeff. Yep. Yep. What is one Internet resource that has helped you become a better teacher that you could recommend to our listeners?
0: Yeah. Uh, As an English teacher, I dearly love the site that's called Web English Teacher, and it is essentially uh, elementary through high school, and it's just an incredible resource for about every kind of thing that you can possibly imagine in a collection of uh, teacher activities from across the country. Uh, that's, that's absolutely one of my favorite ones, especially as an English teacher. There's another site that's called teacher to teacher, uh, that came, uh, up through the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. And, uh, I've, I've used it quite a bit, but, uh, as, as far as what I do for the classroom, the web English teacher site is my favorite.
2: And do you have an inspirational quote, a teaching quote to share with our listeners?
0: Absolutely. And this is... I had I had one of my favorite living authors, is Pat Conroy, and uh, about two and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to meet him, and uh, I'd read all of his books. In fact, I just finished reading a, a novel called Beach Music, um, that that has a really powerful story about a protagonist um, who has kind of lost his family, and he's trying to figure out how to reestablish that relationship, and he remembers. Uh, a teacher from high school that inspired him. Well, I'm meeting Mr. Conroy, and I said, my name's Jeff Baxter, I'm a high school English teacher. And he kind of pulled me aside, and he he said, we need to talk. And he uh, said, you know, high school English teacher, high school teachers, teachers in general, inspired me. I'm not a writer without that. And he said, do you remember, uh, have you read beach music? And I said, yes. And he said, do you remember what I said about teachers in that? And I was kind of hazy. And there's a line in there when this protagonist discovers uh, the importance of kind of reconnecting with his teachers. And the line goes, one can do anything, anything at all, if provided with a passionate and gifted teacher. And that has been, uh, and he signed his book that way. be that passionate and gifted teacher. And I think that is true. I think one can do anything if they're provided with a passionate and gifted teacher. That's the difference we make.
2: And the book is Beach Music, which we'll have on our show notes. Right. Jeff, I read somewhere that you're working on a book. Can you give us any information on that? Yeah, sure.
0: Happy to do that. Um, Because I do a lot of writing with with my students, um, and, and in every class, I just kind of began putting together kind of a reflection about so many things that, uh, as I was growing up, that influenced who I am. And um, it developed into a book, and I am—I've uh, got about 29 chapters in it. Over this break, I was able to really. Uh, do a lot of writing with it. And I, I think hopefully about end of uh, next week or two, I can ship it off to the editor where the other editor can start kind of giving me some feedback uh, to do the things. The uh, name of the book is going to be um, More Than One Way Home. And uh, it's uh, kind of, you know, reflects and follows some of the things I've had to overcome and and, and deal with. But looking from the perspective of things that I learned uh, growing up
2: Jeff what's the best thing about being a classroom teacher today
0: I get an incredible opportunity to make a difference in our future by affecting students in a nutshell that's it
2: well before we go into the final minute before the final bell I know uh-huh. you've spoken about your um, grandson, Hunter. Just tell us briefly about your children and what they're doing today, because I know they're you're sure. very proud of them.
0: Oh, I'm very proud of them. Um, uh, Dustin uh, graduated with a degree in psychology, and he specializes in working with autistic children, especially young children, young autistic children. And it's just been so fascinating to see him just light up by doing that. Uh, Tara... Uh, graduated from Furman University and uh, was commissioned uh, in the United States Army as a Black Hawk helicopter pilot.
2: Cool beans. And,
0: yeah. And uh, uh, she's just an amazing young lady who's captain in the Army uh, and uh, uh, now has uh, resigned her commission because she's raising our two grandsons. We have two grandsons now, and she's pregnant with a,
2: oh, congratulations. a third
0: child. And uh, uh, my son-in-law just got promoted to major, and so they're going to be coming to Leavenworth to go to Fort Leavenworth next year, so they'll be here in our community for two years. My youngest daughter, Olivia, graduated from the University of Missouri, and a lot of my family didn't like that very much. Uh, You know, hey, you're a Jayhawk. What are you doing allowing your daughter to go to Missouri? Um, But uh, she had a full scholarship and graduated with a degree in business, uh, and now she works in human resources with a large firm in Overland Park. Uh, So uh, really proud of them.
2: That, That sounds great. Sounds great. Okay, Jeff, are you ready for the final minute before the final bell? I'm ready. Morning person or night owl?
0: Morning person.
2: Mac or PC? PC. Favorite book from your childhood?
0: The Little Engine That Could.
2: First paying job.
0: (laughs) Packing hides at a beef uh, packing company.
2: One television show that you try to watch every week.
0: Um, The Big Bang Theory.
2: Latest music download or song playing on your iPod. Um,
0: Fire and Rain by James Taylor.
2: One famous person that you would invite for dinner, either living or dead
0: and that was i didn't have to even think about that herman melville
2: moby dick yep it's a snow day in kansas what will you do with this unexpected day off from school uh
0: do my own personal reading and finish my book
2: next item on your bucket list
0: oh uh, and that that's a that, that's a really good one uh, about uh, some years ago i had uh, I, I had on my bucket list after National Geographic did a story on it I wanted to to be uh, be up on Machu Picchu. Well, last summer, I actually got to do that. I wow. spent ten days working with education in Peru and spent three days up on machu Picchu
2: and what was that one? Like? And
0: so the thing that's on my bucket list is I want to go back to Machu Picchu, but this time take my wife.
2: And share it with her.
0: Yep. She saw the pictures, and she said, oh, that must be an incredible place. And I said, you know, here in several years, you and I are going back to Peru.
2: Yeah, we all know behind every successful teacher is a supportive spouse.
0: Oh, my goodness. My goodness. That's another thing I've shared a lot. I'm not even the best teacher in my house.
2: (laughs) And there's the final bell. Jeff, how can our listeners get in touch with you?
0: Uh, the best way is to to use my email. I'm really good at responding to email, and I'm uh, always happy. Uh, every place I've gone, I've said, man, you just get a hold of me. I'm happy to share all this stuff. Uh, as a teacher, none of this stuff is copyrighted. I mean, I'm happy to give it away. Uh, and they, it's JBaxter, all lowercase, at Blue Valley K12.
2: You've been listening to the New Teacher Podcast, and my guest today is Jeff Baxter, the 2014 Kansas Teacher of the Year. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
0: Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate that. I love what you're doing.
2: Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Jeff. Be sure to visit our show notes page at newteacher.org for everything we talked about today. Thank you again to do cube.com for bringing this episode to you. Please remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes to win a Rubik's Cube gift pack. Next week, my guest is a bit weird. He's Doug Robertson, author of the book He's the Weird Teacher. Well, that's our 10th show for today and thank you for listening. This is the New Teacher Podcast and I'm your host, Anthony Arno. Be well.